This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, not so good this week, mate. Yeah, a little bit under the weather, mate. Uh, I'm going to smile through it though, but yeah, just... I don't know. This is a very cliche kind of British line, but uh, it does feel like it's been going around. You know, I know a few people have been in the same boat. Have you uh, have you managed to escape it so far? Yeah, I've been okay so far, but at least it gives us a reason to give a bit of a different update than our usual, um, yeah, Everton's great type line. Hmm. Um, but Everton is great on the Liverpool scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Feels like we've been away for quite a bit, but I'm not sure we have. But Liverpool have, and are now back in a title race by the looks of it. Uh, after we specifically said after Christmas, uh, the title race is done. Yeah, well, it did seem it did seem over. I'll be honest, um, and still might be, <laughs> <laughs> but I hope it's not. I hope I'm wrong in this case. Um, yeah, Liverpool are three points away from Manchester City now, and obviously have to face them as the Etihad. So we will get to to that. Uh, we also have to talk about, obviously, this weekend's Carabao Cup final. Uh, most important, Sophie, out there. Um, and we've got to talk about, briefly, first, uh, the 6-0 win over Leeds. Um, not going to go into too much detail, but I thought it was a very strong performance. Um, and I think Liverpool basically showed how to play against Leeds, mate. Um we obviously know Marcel Bielsa is an advocate of man marking. Um, very unique approach that isn't particularly common throughout Europe. I think the only team that comes to mind when I think of man marking sides is Atalanta. Um, can't think of many others. I'm not sure about you. No, no, they did Leeds, Atalanta. Um, yeah, no one else really stands out, certainly to that extent, anyway. Yeah, but um. Yeah, Liverpool, in my opinion, showed yet again how you've got to play to, to exploit that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, really dominant win. Um, kind of, if you would have been asked how to how to preview it, it would have really played out how you expected. Um, typical leads, really. I, I'll be honest, I'm not really a fan of any extreme, of any particular style, if that makes sense. Like, I think there's a reason why you don't do uh, full end of the spectrum type thing, and Leeds seem to do this with the with the man marking. But I think man marking is just too flawed. I think even from a set piece perspective, it's too flawed, which is um, which is why you know so many teams don't do it anymore. Certainly at, at an elite level, you you might see a, a hybrid version of like some man marking with zonal, but predominantly teams have a heavy focus on zonal rather than rather than man marking and. And there's a reason why that's done in outfield as well, because it's just it's just too easily bypassed. Especially if you have better individuals uh, in terms of the 11v11, which, you know, let's be honest, it's not biased to say that that's the case with Liverpool, isn't it? You know, they've got better players all over the pitch. And if you've got certain individuals who can overcome uh, their 1v1 battles, then suddenly that just causes big headaches everywhere else on the pitch because then other players have got to decide do they do they close that man who's broke free down, potentially leaving the man there marking, uh, do they stay and leave that man in space to basically punish you It's uh, it just causes too many headaches in my opinion Josh 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, when it comes to how rare it is as a system, that is kind of why, because it's it's kind of not that great. Um, <laughs> and, it can, and it can go wrong. It can yeah. really go wrong, and it's it's relatively, I wouldn't say easy, but it's 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 not that difficult to exploit if you're the better team, if you've got better players, essentially. Um, and it does pose the question, what, how Marcelo Bielsa would get on in charge of a team like Liverpool, for example, because he's always been in charge of like, you know, Chile, Bilbao, um, Marseille, I think, um, Leeds, you know, teams that, and, and you could argue the season where he was kind of in charge of the dominant group of players when Leeds were in the championship. Hmm. And he ran away with it, really. Hmm. Um, so it, it is one of them that I've always considered. But when it comes to facing a stronger group of players, you know, man marking does make it very much about an individual battles game as opposed to a team game. If you win your individual battles, we will win the match. But it's very difficult to win your individual battles when you're coming up against Mo Salah, Thiago, Fabinho, Virgil van Dijk. You know, you're going to struggle. Um and I think Liverpool really showcased exactly what you've got to do to cause this man-marking scheme problems. Um, one of the things I noticed was Liverpool's positional interchanging was really, really fluid. Um, even more fluid than usual. Like sometimes Luis Diaz would end up on the right. Sometimes Trent would end up in centre midfield. Sometimes Mane would end up as a number six. You know, it was it, it was real positional interchanging. And as I said, when you conducting the man marking approach that's that makes it tricky for leads because there's players popping up everywhere you don't really have a designated man um and you know Sadio Mane played through the middle as kind of Liverpool's version of Firmino and he did play very like Firmino he was receiving very very deep at times and taking a centre half with him and as a result of that gaps open up and you can get in and, and exploit them so it's typical false nine stuff really but when it's man marking systems it's it's definitely going to work because you know the centre half is going to follow you. Yeah, and the, you know, uh, I imagine maybe pre-game or through the week when the the plan for the fixture, there probably is elements of saying, well, this is how Liverpool line up. So uh, Diaz, for example, uh, you know, Diaz is going to play on the left. So obviously he's your man if you're the right back or if you're in that area. But those kind of rotations do make that really difficult. Then suddenly players have got to kind of problem solve on the pitch as a result of the tactics that they're playing, haven't they? You know, you've got to think, okay, say Diaz is going into a, a number 10 position or coming in central. Do I go with him or does someone else pick, pick him up now? And these are all decisions that you've got to kind of make there and then very quickly. Uh, and the speed of the game at that level, at Premier League level, is just insane. I think we take it for granted because we watch it so often. But it really is so fast. So to be doing that, it can just cause hesitations that can that can basically be uh, punished. And I think Liverpool done a re- obviously a really good job of that, um, highlighted by the dominance in the game. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons Liverpool were able to dominate was because of Joel Matip. Um, I actually sent out a newsletter before the match. Uh, those who have signed up will already be aware of this, but I sent out a newsletter. On I've, signed, I've signed up, mate, and I, uh, and I read it. Did you? Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I specifically flagged Matip um, 
pointed out just against carries, and I'm going to actually quote myself here. I think I said, if you want to leave Matip as a free man, he'll just run through your formation. <laughs> and that's kind of what he did. Um, he's threatened to do it a number of times, of course, but this is the time I'd actually pay off and actually work for him. He ended up scoring a goal, and I think when you're facing Leeds, obviously they tend to man-mark all over the pitch, but they have to leave they have to leave one or two men free at times because if, otherwise it looks a bit daft. And often those players are the centre-halves. Mm. So, you know, it, if you've got centre-halves against Leeds who are really comfortable on the ball, like Matip, you can really cause issues. I think a few days earlier, they faced Manchester United and Victor Lindelof did a similar thing, um, just ran after pitch. And it, it, if you've got centre-halves that can do that, you can cause problems for Leeds. So I didn't think Matip would score, but uh, I thought he'd offer similar to what he offered in the away leg early in the season, where he, he kind of played the um, the assist before the assist, if you like. But he's, yeah. he's a really unique centre-half, Dave. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's very good at that. He's probably one of the, uh, the the best central defenders you could have in terms of playing that role. You know, stepping out, running through, because he tends to do it against uh, really good. Or sorry, let me reframe. Better organised teams who maybe don't have this same approach. But you could handpick a team in the division for him to play and play that kind of game. Leeds would be absolutely perfect for them. So uh, I must admit, I did find it quite fitting that he scores. Um, because he has been doing those runs all season. And it, it, as I said, if you're going to pick a team for him to play and uh, play in such a way, then it would have been lead. So quite fitting that he got a goal. Um, just quickly, Josh, I know we uh, we want to keep it on the more Liverpool side of things than Leeds, but just generally, do you, uh, do you think Leeds might, might go down this year? I am getting more and more worried about them, uh, but I don't think it's specifically their fault almost like Klopp pointed out in the press conference that you know when you've got I think it's Cooper Phillips and Bamford out mm. that is that is your spine uh, and we saw Liverpool's issues last season without their spine at times um, so I, I do I hope they stay up because I, I do like them um, but if they're going to consistently be without those players for the rest of the season for or for the most part at least I do think they're going to find it sticky. Um but I'm sure from an Everton perspective, you hope that he continues to struggle, probably. I mean, yeah, of course, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll try and keep it purely with, with, without that emotion involved. And I, I mean, I can't believe how many goals they've conceded. You know, they've conceded, they've averaged 2.24 per game, conceded 56 more than any other side. And, you know, well, obviously, well, come on. I was going to say one interesting development on the back of last night is Liverpool have now scored more goals than they scored in the whole of last season. Mm. And Leeds have now conceded more goals than they've con- than they conceded in the whole of last season. Mm. Yeah, it's a, I mean, Liverpool one's very interesting, but kind of ties in with the issues that they had, doesn't it? I suppose that we, uh, we talked about at the time. Um, and Leeds, I mean, it is bad for Leeds on that point. You know, six against Liverpool, four against United, three against Everton, three against Villa. That's just the last four games. Um, they've conceded four against Arsenal, seven against City, three against Chelsea, uh, another three against the, uh, Liverpool in, early in the year, another five against United. You know, they've been, they have been battered by quite a few t- teams. Um, you know, how are they looking? Seeing the table. The three points clear, but they've played two more games than Burnley, you know, which yeah, 
that could bite them now. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. It's one to follow. Um, but, From the comfort uh, of the top of the league. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when when you usually see these 6-0 wins, very rarely is it a deserving 6-0. Um, usually it's a case of players have finished to a high level. And we can usually look at that using expected goals. But the expected goals on the day, mate, the Leeds have got absolutely hammered. So the expected goals on the day, have you seen it? Yeah, I knew it. Well, it depends what model I've seen, a mixture between four and five. According to Statsbomb, which in my opinion have the best model, Liverpool posted an XG of bang on five and Leeds posted an XG of 0.1. That is just total dominance. That's 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 a. I mean, there's two penalties in there, of course, but that's the highest Liverpool have posted all season. And it's not even close, really. The second highest that Liverpool have posted was 4.3 in the 4-0 win against Arsenal. Um, So, uh, don't get me wrong, Liverpool obviously got help from two penalties here. But to post an XG of five, I mean, you've actually guaranteed to win the game. Liverpool scored six. So, a little bit of an overperformance there. But I I doubt Liverpool will have posted higher than five under Klopp in the Premier League. Yeah. Maybe we'll check it out, but it's uh, even if you traded the uh, the point seven fives roughly for the penalties and you know make them something a bit more reduced, you're still looking at upwards of three point five, aren't you? There for yeah. uh, for the home game, which I, I think in that territory can be anything. You know, it can be six or seven quite easily. And obviously, when you've got forwards like Liverpool, uh, it can be more often than not. So I'm not surprised that it ended up being 6-0. Probably could have been more than another day. Yeah, it was an interesting match. Uh, Liverpool have now closed the gap to Manchester City to just three points. I mean, <laughs> where do we stand on this now? What are you, what are you thinking? Uh, good question. It's it's so bizarre because when we obviously spoke and alluded to it earlier, uh, when we spoke about this, say, eight weeks ago, it, it, it looked as if City were unstoppable and Liverpool were maybe a little fragile. Um, and now, if you're making that case for a team looking unstoppable and one looking a bit more fragile, you'd say it was roll reverse. You know, Liverpool look in that kind of form where they just seem they can go to anywhere and beat anyone in the division. And, you know, we saw against Inter Milan, even abroad. Where the city, you know, start thinking, well, they're going to be a bit fragile. Um, obviously, they got for those who don't know play Everton away this weekend, which will be interesting because obviously Everton's record isn't great against City, but Everton do need desperately need points. So there's going to be a lot of motivation. Do you, do you have any any hope for that? I've insist. Uh, not really. I haven't actually seen Lampard's Everton yet. I don't think. Yeah. No. I don't know. At home, Everton have been really good. So they played four games, uh, won both home games convincingly, uh, but looked at pretty poor on the road, which I think ties in a lot with the uh, the mentality of the players. So you think, you know, what City champions coming to coming to the Goodison, you don't expect much. That being said, you know everyone will remember the uh, the game that sealed the title for for Liverpool uh, in twenty twenty. That was Chelsea, Frank Lampard, Chelsea beating City 2-1. I think he got spot on tactically in that game. Uh, I wonder if he'll have a similar approach, maybe uh, going reverting to kind of three-man midfield, compacting the midfield, making it a little bit difficult 
for key players to get on in the middle uh, and then just trying to be a threat on the break. You know, Everton have got to Corey back, uh, Gray, you know, so you got a little bit more pace on the break. And you just don't know. I think the, 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 the home crowd's been really good last couple of weeks uh, with Lampard in charge. Everyone in the ground will be uh, will be desperate for an Everton win, which, if we're being honest, Josh, probably hasn't been the case in these clashes in the past against City. Uh, when both Liverpool and City have been going for the league, because uh, Everton a lot of the time been meandering around, you know, mid-table, somewhere top half, not much to play for. They've probably not been that bothered if the result doesn't go their way, but I think it'll be different this time. So to answer your question, I think it'll be tough because City are very good, but I think there'll be a lot of motivation in the ground to win. And, and you know, you, you'll know as well, Goodison, when it's when it's on, on point, can be a fairly tough place to go. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I mean, I'm just I'm just looking at City's fixtures now, and I actually think their next their next seven Premier League games I actually think are quite hard, um, and I, I I do expect them. Well, I think I think they need they almost need to drop points. I think Liverpool have to have a lead. In the Premier League, probably by that by that point after them seven games, the seven games I'm talking about are Everton away, then Manchester United at home. We know United tend to do fairly well against City sometimes. I can't really put my finger on why. Then Palace away. I make Palace as a, as a side. Brighton at home. I think Brighton are very well coached. Then Burnley away, probably the easiest out of the seven that I'm talking about. But Turf Moor is never a nice place to go, is he? And the fighting for relegation, so yeah. Fighting for fighting for live and stuff. So then they've got Liverpool, and then they've got Wolves away. I think Wolves are very well coached. Um, but then after that, their remaining five games of the season are Watford, Leeds, Newcastle, West Ham, Villa. Um, so I think by that point, by the time City have faced Leeds, I think Liverpool probably need a slight lead in the title race to to get over the line at the end because I think City will probably. Do all right in the last few games of the season, but the next seven I do think look quite tricky. Um, if you I, look at the yeah, I was going to say yeah, I did have a look at it, and I, I tried. I did like a bit of a forecasted uh, like difficulty based on where these teams expected to finish. Um, but the only thing I would say with that is Liverpool's is equally is tricky. Certainly in the next five going into the Etihad fixture, I don't. You have you had a proper look yet, Josh? Uh, no, I'm just looking at cities at the minute. <clears throat> right, well, Liverpool have got obviously West Ham at home, I think it is. Uh, then Brighton away, Arsenal away, uh, then United at home, and then Watford before the Etihad game. Um, so you think West Ham never easy, although even though you'd back Liverpool to win that one, Brighton we've just said you know can be a tough one. Arsenal away is quite a tricky game, I think. I don't know how yeah. you feel about that one. Uh, no, I, I agree. Couldn't Arsenal, yeah. Couldn't Arsenal, like, you know what they're doing. Them. They've obviously got the um, top four to chase for there. Yeah, United, I think Liverpool beat United. Um, you know, kind of indication of where they're at. And then Watford should win that. But the point I'm trying to make is I think it's 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 so hard to predict, predict what's going to happen going into that Etihad game. You know what I've just realised as well? Absolute massive narrative here on the line. City's last game of the season. Is against Steven Gerrard. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, come on, you can't write this. Do you reckon that's written? <laughs> it could be. It could be if it goes down to the final game. That's insane, it's, man. 
Yeah, obviously he'll, he's still, you know, he'll be so bitter about what happened in the 2014, was it, 2014? Um, yeah, that's, uh, that is, 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 I, I really don't know. I think I think it certainly could. Both teams are comfortably the best in the league to the extent that they could easily win all of their remaining games except the head-to-head at the Etihad. Yeah. Um, I don't think they will w- win all the remaining games. I don't think I don't think these two are maybe as perfect maybe as the the teams from two from 2018-19 at the end of the season when they just kept winning, kept winning, kept winning. I think. Both teams will still drop points. Uh, I just not, don't know how many. Um, but I think both will probably end up over 90, I think, uh, yeah. in the 90s. In do terms of five, they, go on. Sorry, mate, I just, just while we're still on, do you read much before you go on to that? Do you uh, put much weight on the fact that uh, this weekend it could be six points um, and I don't know when the next game is who plays first, but... Do you ever look at that from a psychological point of view and think uh, that plays a part or or not? Because just for context, obviously, Liverpool aren't playing this weekend because they got the final. Um, so it could potentially be six points clear. Um, and I don't know who plays first in the next round of matches. Do you put much weight on that? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's, it's not ideal. I think, I think certainly if every single week the team... That you're chasing plays first and can kind of keep winning. You have to keep responding, and at no point are you kind of getting ahead or or getting close or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's ideal. I'd much rather Liverpool play first and City have a game in hand, maybe or, or whatever. But um, yeah, it's one of them. We've got to deal with it, I suppose, and try and get to it to a point whereby when we faced them at the Etihad, we are close enough to leapfrog them if we win. Um, I mean that'll be an interesting one to preview when it comes around. <laughs> mm, yeah. In terms of, in terms of uh, five thirty eight, people might be a, bit, a little bit surprised that Liverpool only twenty eight percent to win the league. Um, City still seventy two percent on to win the league, but I'm not sure that model considers that both sides have to play each other still, and Liverpool have obviously the better goal difference. So Liverpool did win. Liverpool would go first. Um, so I personally have a little bit closer than that. I don't think I'd put Liverpool twenty eight percent. I'd probably put them a little, little bit higher. Um, but I do think City's still firm favourites. Uh, the big one, isn't it? If you think about it. Yeah, well, people were speaking last night. You know, Liverpool need Liverpool need to start paying attention to this. I suppose when we were when we were hitting these for six. Yeah, yeah, because it's well, as if so, it's a four four goal positive swing at the moment. You know, if you can if you can add to that a little bit more than that. It might be settled on that. Yeah, I always think you can tell that the level of teams when you look at the goal difference, you know. And I think I think it is quite interesting that after twenty six games, Liverpool have have a better goal difference than Manchester City. Because at, at the end of the day, what goal difference is? It's 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 your ability to score more goals than you concede at mm. the end of the day, and usually that's the best team. Mm. Um, Liverpool have have scored more goals to have conceded to a higher level than Manchester City. And then you've got Chelsea, and then you've got Man United, and then you've got West Ham and Arsenal level. Obviously, Spurs have a few games in hand and stuff, but 
Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Mm. So unless you've got anything else to add on the title race day, we will move on to this weekend's Carabao Cup final. Yeah, I'm just, I just, yeah, I just wanted to see what the, the gap was on Chelsea now, considering they were in and around it for a little while. But yeah, the uh, it's ten points now, although they have got a game in hand. Not that I'm thinking they are at all in, in it. I'm just, I was keen to see how big the gap has actually opened on them because um, they looked legit at one point this season. Chelsea, to be fair, didn't they? But just you know what, they, they they did look legit, right? And I definitely believed it, but. In the numbers of all, I've said all season hmm. that there's a top two, a number three, and then everybody else. Yeah. Chelsea have been slightly separate from Liverpool and City in the numbers all season. Um, so the way the table looks at the minute, where there's a top two, a gap to third, and then a gap to fourth, that is how the numbers have painted it since for most of the season, really. Hmm. Hmm. Next year will always come and get you. <laughs> yeah, you cannot run forever. Although I, yeah. I cannot believe that uh, I know they've had to play the game in hand, but I can't believe United are only four points behind Chelsea. I know it is crazy. How, how, how is that possible? Like United look so poor, they feel like they've had this horrendous campaign. How are they only four points behind Chelsea? Like the, the table blows my mind sometimes. You know, I know it's so basic, but I know people. People forget how long the season is, honestly. Yeah, like it's... Arsenal, if Arsenal win both of their games in hand, Arsenal can go two points behind Chelsea. Um, and at one point, Chelsea were the next title winners. And at one point, Ar- Arteta was getting linked with the sack after losing his first three games without scoring a goal and conceding yeah. 10, I think. So, yeah, and that feels a lifetime ago. You forget it was only this season. Yeah, literally, the season is a long, mate, honestly. It's an absolute yeah. marathon. Um, <laughs> But in the middle of the season, obviously, we have a nice uh, Carabao Cup to win. Um, first trophy of the season. And we are facing, obviously, Chelsea. Uh, so it feels like we're facing a bit of a different side than what we've faced earlier in the season, certainly at Anfield. I'm a bit more confident than I was back then. Um, I thought they were, you know, real competitors back then, but now I do see Liverpool as a stronger team. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree Especially with that. Especially with everyone fit. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a there's a few more chinks in the arm of Chelsea than than maybe there was in that first meeting. Um the obvious one, I guess, is you don't really know what's going on with the Lukaku stuff, which is um I don't know that, that one. Have you thoughts on that one? It's a, it's just been very strange, you know. It, it looked like it a a solid move in the summer. Um, he started really well, ironically, in the games we just talked about. Well, the Arsenal game, he looked exactly exactly like what we expected. You know, a really kind of dominating uh, forward. I think he scored in that game as well, didn't he? I'm sure yeah. he did. Yeah. Um, and OK, I haven't watched Chelsea every week, but since then, it, it didn't help he got injured. But he's just looked a little... It just hasn't seemed to fit at all, has it? It's, it's been, been very bizarre and... A lot was made last week about the fact that he he had something like seven touches in the game, which is which is bad. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily put that all down to him because at the end of the day, he's meant to be, he's meant to be a forward who's finishing moves rather than you know necessarily always helping and creating them. Although I do still think he has a, a role to do with that as well. So specifically on the Kaku, Josh, I am surprised. I thought he I thought he'd do well there, but Tuchel did kind of. Hint at it, didn't he? That and it is true. 
for whatever reason, Chelsea just seems to have issues when they when they buy strikers. They just never seem to yeah do that well in the market when they buy strikers. Yeah, I mean, we've been asked a few times in the past why why don't Liverpool buy a striker? You know, Klopp hasn't bought a striker yet and things like that. But I think Lukaku's seven touches captures a reason as to why you maybe don't always want a striker, specifically in the modern game and specifically when it comes to a team that wants to represent total football, essentially, which is what Liverpool are trying to do, where every player is a defender and every player is an attacker. When it comes to a striker, what a striker is, essentially, is the man at the top of the field who finishes your moves for you. That's what a striker is. A striker is, is the guy who puts the ball in the net. That's kind of that's kind of it. So if you've got that player who's just waiting at one end of the pitch for the ball to finish your move for you, you can't it it does lead to a, it can lead to a bit of a disconnect. Um Tuchel, I actually like what Tuchel said after the game. He said uh, the data speaks a certain language, he said. Um and the seven touches shows that he was not involved in our game or something, he said. And then obviously the next game, Havertz plays. Havertz is a lot more of a midfield type than Lukaku is. Mm-hmm. And the link was restored. So I do think generally strikers, specifically in, in these Klopp, Guardiola type teams, are just becoming a bit... I don't know, they have to be really, really, really good to, to be to be playing every week um, and I think if you were to say to Tuchel now in the in, in the summer you don't sign Lukaku I think he'd actually take that now yeah but then the, the headache here, I think is well if Lukaku isn't good enough to be a striker then who is you know because he, he was a forward at the height of his game it, in terms of a striker profile maybe Haaland Lewandowski uh, but who else really is is considered in terms of that number nine? Who else was considered better? So are we now saying that you just, there's just no place for for that that kind of player anymore? Well, I think with Lukaku though, I think compared to you know, say a, a Harry Kane or someone like that, I think Lukaku's a lot less suited to a possession game than um, I think Lukaku's. I don't think it's been said enough that he is such a transition player, despite his his target man appearance, if you like. He's a player who's always thrived on the break. He's always been, you know, he's thrived in, under Antonio Conte doing that. Um, he was able to play in that way for West Brom and for Everton and, and teams like that. Um, but since he's been put in a possession-based team, Everton's very slow, Everton's very methodical. He's constantly surrounded by players, doesn't really get many opportunities on the break. He's he's just stood there waiting type thing and it, it, it doesn't really seem to work. So mm. I don't want to put all strikers in, the, in a specific box, but I do think strikers like Lukaku, they're not possession-based strikers. Um, and I think some others are. I, think, I don't think it's a coincidence that Guardiola was linked with Kane in the summer and he didn't get anyone on the back of it, on the back of not getting him. I think one of the reasons for that was because obviously Kane's very, very good, but Kane would have allowed City to keep playing the same way, really, because of how good he is on, in possession. Do you, do you think Lukaku's not very good technically? No, it's that, not, he's not very good. I'll reframe yeah. that because that sounds very harsh. Uh, in, in terms of the other players that we've spoken about there, where, where do you think he stands? Because every player at that level is fantastic technically, but 
So who are we talking about then? Lewandowski. Say Lewandowski, Kane. Uh, who else did we talk about? I can't remember. Say that those two. Where, where would you where would you rank his technical ability? Third. Um, I think I, I don't think he's bad technically, um, but I don't think he's a possession-based player. I don't think he's, you know, absolutely the sharpest. Way like the same players you get on the ball, and a lot of them play for City, and you you don't even challenge them because you just know they'll make a, they'll make a fool out of you. Yeah. The, the, the ball's so glued to the foot mm. that they will just escape. I don't think Lukaku's one of them. Um, I think you can. You can influence his first touch and things like that. Um, but again, I don't want to downplay him because he's, he's a ridiculous striker, you know, but had a brain career and things like that. But I just think yeah. when it comes to how Chelsea have played under the Tuchel, you know, long possession sequences and things like that, yeah, I think this is the, I'm not sure he was suited and I don't know if he will start this weekend. Would you start him? Uh, good question. I don't know. I thought Tavares done really well uh, against Lille and he's done that role quite well a few times, you know, even going back to his days for Leverkusen. Uh, I actually probably... think... Go on. I probably would. And the reason I probably would is because I've just been talking there about how he's a, a bit of a transition player. Transition player, yeah. And you, you can't play like that against Liverpool. Um, but that'll probably be the best way, won't it? They're not going exactly, to dominate. Yeah, yeah they're not going to dominate. Um, I think he'll, he'll add some physicality up there. Um which it could be an ideal kind of game for him to to come back. Um, I say come back, he hasn't gone anywhere, but you know what I mean? It, you know, kind of, if he goes, plays that game, plays well, scores scores a goal, scores two, Chelsea win, then I think he's right back uh, where, where he wants to be uh, in the eyes of, you know, Chelsea fans and the squad. Um, so maybe, maybe this is the ideal game for him. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, and do you, do you think that because of his skill set, maybe you start Kanatic over Matup? Because in certain games, Klopp has started Kanate when I think he's wanted real 1v1 skills. You know, like Kanate is quicker than Matup, he's stronger than Matup. He's not as good on the ball as Matup, but he's still decent on the ball. So I think considering what Lukaku's like, Kanate might be in line for the start, but I'm not sure. No, yeah, I think it's. A, I think you're right. There was a game. Uh, I'm trying to think. Maybe it might have been Palace away. Uh, I think I can't remember what score they finished, but uh, I think Matip. I'm sure played in that game, and I remember thinking specifically in that one uh, when he was up against a little bit more in terms of pace up top and things that potentially uh, Canate would have been a better option there. Um, and I still think that now. I think if it's a, I think he probably do a better job in terms of a physical battle. Uh, I think he'd nullify any uh, threat in terms of pacing behind as well. I think he'd just be the better option. Uh, and that's no slant on matter because, you know, we've just been talking about how, how good he was and how influential he was in this Leeds fixture uh, yesterday. But I think specifically for this opponent, Canate would be the ideal centre-back, I think, or the, the best option to partner Van Dijk. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Liverpool benefits from their midfield this time around. Because obviously, last time we faced Chelsea was at Stamford Bridge, and we touched on it at the time. Liverpool played with a midfield three of Fabinho, Henderson, and Milner, and I think Henderson and Milner in particular posted really low uh, passing pass completions. 
um, which is no wee a massive thing, but I think on the day it did offer an insight into how chaotic they kind of became, and they, I think they lacked a bit of a cool head in the mid, middle of the park. This time around, Liverpool will have Thiago in there, um, and Liverpool's record with Thiago on the pitch alongside Fabinho is ridiculous. So I think Liverpool this time around are obviously a lot stronger, and specifically in the final, they will really benefit from that console in the middle of the field. Yeah, um, Thiago had that unbelievable game, didn't he? I think it might have been one of his first at Stamford Bridge when they went down to 10 and he just... Yeah, was his debut that year. Yeah, he just uh, completely dumb. I know the I know they only had 10, but it was just a complete kind of masterclass in that area. Um, and yeah, he, he, I mean, he's... I, I, it feels like, you know, 12 months ago, there was a lot of talk about him just not being right for this Liverpool side, wasn't there? Um, admittedly, not much on this show. Uh, I think the only thing we really flagged as a big negative was he seems to be a little bit sloppy in terms of in terms of fouls, but we try to go into that a little bit more on a deeper level as to why. But you know, he's I think he's had made about fifty appearances now, and he's he's probably solidified himself as not not take for being out because of where he plays, but uh, probably what Liverpool's best midfielder now in terms of those eight positions for sure. Um, yeah. And what he brings is just completely what what Liverpool haven't had in the past. And it, it the, the move now, I think everybody understands why 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 Klopp and Liverpool made the move when they did last summer to bring that kind of profile in. Yeah, I mean, for me, he's quite obvious when he's on the pitch. At least for me, he's quite clearly more valuable than uh, than when Alden was. Um, but if you look at the final in isolation, it is a serious midfield department. Really, it could be a case of Fabinho. Thiago, Kovacic, Kante, and probably Henderson as well. Um, so that's a lot of competition in the middle of the park. Maybe two will go for the midfield three um, at the expense of one attacker. But it's mm. going to be interesting. So with it being a final, mate, um, for the first time in 2022, I'm going to ask you for your prediction on this one. Yeah, fine. Um, can, before I give you a prediction, actually, I want to get... I want to get your insight on it. Well, not insight, just want to ask you the question, maybe more from a fan perspective. You know, this this final League Cup, uh, does it, is it kind of in a in a strange way, despite it being considered maybe the a little bit more inferior to the other ones, is it just a bit more enjoyable, enjoyable because you, it, there's not as much pressure on it? Like, if you win it, it's nice to win it. But if you lose it, it's not really a season end it doesn't feel like it's going to derail anything it'll just be a little bit disappointing but you move on yeah yeah no it's a good point I think there's an element of that about it I don't feel like a bag of nerves going into yeah. it it doesn't feel like the season rests on it it feels like we can still win loads of big stuff on the back of this so yeah I think you're right there and, uh, it's going to be it's going to be nice because I think it's a real indicator it's a real milestone I think for Liverpool's time under Klopp because I don't think it's the biggest trophy, obviously, but I think it's the first real indicator of what Klopp's Liverpool looks like with depth. It's the first mm-hmm. time we've had real depth, you know, two players in every position in, in a way. And, you know, on the back of that, we, we reached the final of the first trophy that we've been able to compete in. So mm-hmm. I think it's an indicator of what could be to come if Klopp is now going to work with depth moving forward. Maybe Liverpool can start to clean up a little bit like Man City have in the past. Yeah, agreed. Uh, in terms of prediction, such a boring scoreline. I apologise, but this is this is what I fancy. I think uh, 
I fancy Liverpool to win 2-1 um, within 90 minutes. Yeah, I was going to say 2-1 myself. Um, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule out extra time. If I'm honest. You know, you, you, I don't think you'd ever count with two two sides like this. And I think Chelsea are particularly, you know, defensive orientated more than. Do, do you still anticipate it being a fairly tight game? Because I, I do. Maybe one not Liverpool edge, but it's still being fairly tight. Yeah, and I think it'll be very very tactical, and I think Chelsea will be really. In fact, to be honest, it's difficult with this one because Liverpool have got the best attack in in Europe, in my opinion, at the minute. But I think Chelsea's defence, when they really want to be on it, they're really hard to break down. And Liverpool mm. faced 10 men of Chelsea um, earlier in the season at Anfield and couldn't get through. So maybe expecting Liverpool to score two is a bit daft, but um, I don't know what's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But two top sides and uh, it's going to be it's going to be a tight one, I think. Mm, definitely. So, uh, Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, thank you, mate. Uh, enjoy the final. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll try to. Um, and we'll be back next week. Well, I think I will. I think Dave's off now. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going, uh, I'm going uh, stateside, actually. So, you know, if anyone yeah. sees me walking around New York, give me a wave. Yeah, speaking of that, anyone seen us walking around, I thought I'd give a flag to it. Uh, yeah. I got stopped the other day uh, by a listener of the show. So anyone who ever gets the opportunity to do that, do do it because it's nice to hear from listeners. Uh, so thanks for that one. But, yeah, Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. And uh, we'll be back next week to hopefully speak about Liverpool being winners of the Carabao Cup. So, yeah, see you then, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.